Well, I greet you in Jesus Christ's name. It is good to see all of you here this morning. And if you would care to, you can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 for uh, a text. On a personal note, this morning Joyce and I were chatting, and I said, you know what happened exactly 20 years ago today? And we were thinking... 20 years ago today, we were probably at this hour on an airplane uh, returning from uh, our time in Grenada. Uh, So 27 years ago today, we were actually there exactly seven years, October 1, uh, 1996 to to October 1st, 2003. So time flies. Time has a way of just rapidly flying. I can hardly believe it some days. You're at Hebrews 11. Let me tell you a story before I read a few verses. You may have heard this story. I, have, I know I've shared it uh, numerous times, and I don't know where I tell stories anymore. But during the, the uh, Boxer Rebellion in China, it was a tragic time in the early 1900s, there was uh, intense persecution on the Christians. You're probably aware of that slice of of history, but there was a group of Christians that were in uh, a mission station and with only one entrance on the mission mission station and suddenly out of nowhere came some insurgents, soldiers and guarded the entrance. And the message is real clear. The message was, you, you may come out and live if you renounce and trample the cross of Christ. And they literally placed the cross down at the entrance. So they were to come out of the mission station and just trample under their feet the, the cross. And in so doing, making a statement that I am trampling under my feet the cross of Christ. And it was a very frightening moment. I don't know how I would hold up. I don't know how you would hold up. But they needed to make a decision. And if I remember the story correctly, the first few saw the danger and just couldn't face the consequences, so they trampled the cross under their feet. And about the seventh one knelt down and prayed and said, God... Give me the grace to do what I know I need to do. And she said, I will not trample the cross under my feet. And she walked to the side, and they kept their word. And she was instantly with her Savior. Strengthened by her example, many, if not all, the the remainder of those inside followed that example. That story left an impression on me. I read that years ago. I think even my first illustration, I shared that in a a message in Grenada. So now I'd like to read read to you Hebrews chapter, uh, in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. I'm going to read maybe about four verses. I'm going to start at verse 24. Hebrews 11 and verse 24. By faith, When he was come to years, this is Moses, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather 
to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I don't know if you caught all everything that I read. I don't know if I caught everything that I just read. I forgot to do one thing I was going to say before I read the text. Choose one word in the text that you would highlight. If, you, if I would allow you to highlight one word in your Bible, just highlight it. I wonder what word you would highlight. Scan those verses, starting at verse 24, 25, 26, 27. I don't know what word you would highlight, but I'm going to highlight a word because that's kind of what I'm going to base the message on. It's kind of a theme of the message. And it's the first word of verse 25. It's choosing. That's what I'd like to talk about a little bit this morning, choosing. The power of choice. The result of choice. Choosing. And I would like to acknowledge that every one of you are faced with so many choices. You know, we are not robots. You know that. My computer is a robot, okay? Sometimes I think my computer has a mind of its own. You ever feel that way? You're choosing to be contrary this morning. But you know what? I'm convinced that the computer is 100% programmed. Whatever it's programmed to do, so it will do. Not so with what the creation that you and I are. We're, we got the power to choose. We're volitional beings. We can choose. We can choose to serve God or not to serve God. I, I'm getting old enough. That's probably the second time I mentioned it in my sermon already. But I'm realizing my age. And I'm getting old enough to to only begin to understand philosophies. There are so many uh, teachings, philosophies, train of thoughts, whatever you want to call it in life. And I've encountered so many. There's, you know, the Bible does say there's no nothing new under the sun. Sometimes I wonder, but it's true. It's just an old idea coming around again in in another another way. But there's so many philosophies and, 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 and teachings. And I developed a very simple philosophy, very simple that I critique philosophies. And this is my, this is my philosophy that I critique philosophies, if that, makes, if that makes any sense. Whenever a teaching or school of thought or philosophy minimizes the power of a person's choice, I'm skeptical of it, okay? Now, I've sat in so many, I've been under the influence of many philosophies that were extremely educational. And I I do not discard many of the the elements of what may may or may not be said. But in other words, whenever what has happened to you and what has happened to me greatly influences who you are, okay? It does. And 
You can't change that. I can't change that. But what, what, I choose, what I say and what I do can never be placed entirely on the lap of someone else. And as a little boy, I remember saying, look what you made me do. <laughs> Anybody else in that category? Look what you made me do. Oh, you know I, did so, I know I did something I shouldn't have done. It's your fault. Well, that's kind of what Adam and Eve did, right? Look what you made me do. So my simple philosophy right up front is, and I say this so carefully because we are very much, and, and I don't think, sometimes I don't think we pay enough of attention to what really did happen to you and what really did happen to me. So, I, but, but I still maintain a philosophy that, that I'm skeptical of any teaching that minimizes choice. I'm going to be honest with you. I have looked at some of some, some teachings and listened to some teachings that I just can't wrap my mind around. I mean, when it comes to the argument of Calvinism and Arminianism and the doctrine of election and all of that, sometimes I have, I, I have wondered, what really is the truth? Okay, and I don't want to un try to unpack that. But... One day I came across Practical Peter. I like Pat Practical Peter. I think sometime I'm going to preach through the book of 1 Peter and maybe 2 Peter. But Practical Peter made it so simple for me to understand the doctrine of election. Practical Peter said, elect. He called the church elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And one day it went bingo. That answers all my questions. God has foreknowledge that I don't have and that I don't even under, that I don't understand. So God, God knows everybody's choice through the ages to come and ages back. So it's something that is way over our head. And so that is why. So I look at the doctrine of election a little bit different, maybe than I used to early in my Christian life. It's a fact. It's true. It's in the Bible. But it's according. It's based in the foreknowledge of God. Well, that's kind of another bunny trail. I'm back to my simple philosophy. And that reinforces my philosophy. My, my philosophy is uh, I am skeptical of any philosophy that minimizes choice. So let's talk about choosing just a little bit. What is the hardest decision you have ever made? That'd be fun to hand out for a homework assignment. What's the hardest decision you ever made? Okay, let's switch gears. What's the easiest decision you've ever made? I mean, I was really trying to choose between Life Cereal and Raisin Bran this morning, right? <laughs> That's, well, maybe that is a pretty hard choice for some of us sometimes. What are we going to eat? That's not really important, but I'm, what, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's, there's, love, there's, there's easy decisions and there's uh, difficult decisions. That's what I'm trying to say. How, how many of you are are quick to make decisions. Uh, this would be a, I, I would love to do homework on this, but you don't have to raise your hand. But how many of you are, I, I would guess to say about 20% would be, admit it, I'm impulsive. I, that's what I do. And about 80% are very slow to make decisions. I could be wrong on my ratio, but 
Uh, I, I'm just asking the question, are you, are you indecisive? Are you rash? Are you impulsive? The truth is, we got to make decisions. We better learn to make them. I read a story about Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan, when he was a little tyke, had an aunt that took him to the cobbler. Now, most of us don't even know what a cobbler is, right? So his aunt took him to a cobbler to make a pair of shoes. So the cobbler looked at little Ronald Reagan and said, so do you want square-toed or round-toed? He said, I don't know. Well, he said, I got to make one or the other. He said, I don't know. He said, well, I need to know. I don't know. Well, I'll give you a couple days and I'll check in with you. So about two days later, the cobbler met little Ronald Reagan on the street and said, did you decide on the toes? No, I don't know. He said, that's fine. Pick up your shoes in a week. Okay, so he picked up his shoes in a week and one was round and one was square. And Ronald Reagan said this. He said, I, that, that cobbler taught me that if I don't make my own decisions, somebody will make them for me. That's, pretty, that, that's actually profound. If you don't make your own decisions, somebody will make them for you. The reality of choices. Maybe another along with that is our, some, some are quick, some are slow. Some get input from everybody in the book. Some get no input. Now, I'd really be curious to get you to evaluate yourself on that. Uh, do you, are you quick to get input on decisions? Or do you just kind of make it, make your, the, the subject is counsel. Do you get counsel or don't you get counsel? So before I get to the text, I read the text. Before I could kind of try to unpack the story a little bit, I would like to share with you about four or five points about choices. And the first one, I already, already covered a lot of it, the reality of choices. It's, it's, it's real, whether you admit it or not. Does, I'd be curious. If you were asked another question, how many decisions approximately do you make in one day? Does anybody venture to blurt it out? I'll guarantee you're going to be way, 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 way too low as a hint. Okay, I knew you'd be way, 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 way too low. And, and sometimes the statistics are staggering. I have no idea why, how people come across these statistics. But you can check, check it out. Oh, yeah, don't, don't, don't get your phone out and Google it right now. But uh, if you take your phone out this afternoon sometime and, and say, uh, how many decisions does a person make in one day? It's going to come right out, 35,000. 30, there's a conclusion that 35,000 decisions are made every day by one person. And I think you add about 5,000 per dependent. <laughs> that was supposed to be kind of funny. <laughs> so the alarm goes in the morning, and when you lay down at bed at night, you made 35,000 decisions. So, I guess the moral of the story is if you ever have a day that you didn't, you just feel like I had nothing done today, at least you can say, I made 35,000 decisions. Some of them have to be made very quickly, and some of them you have lots of time. Some of them you have time to get counsel on, and so on. But that, that actually settled in on me a little bit as I can 35,000 in a day. So you take 10 people. That's, 
that's what, 350,000? So a group of 10, if, if you have, so we have eight children, so all of us combined without grandchildren or spouses, that makes 350,000 decisions, all affected by our values. A group of 100, no, you know, or, or, or let's say 50, we're a group of 50 to 100, do your math, 100 people, one day, what is it, 3,500,000? That's a lot of decisions, and I'm, trying not, I'm, I'm not trying to overwhelm us, but I'm just trying to, I, what I'm trying to reinforce the fact of choices matter. Choices really do matter. I read an article, I got, I got kind of bogged down in it. Bogged down, side, maybe sidetracked, sidetracked, derailed, distracted is a better word. I actually recommend it. It's a good, in fact, it caught me when I Googled 35,000, I mean, how many decisions, 35,000, an article came up that looked really good by Dr. Joel Humans. And if you Google that, you'll probably come across his article. And I read it, and I was, I was actually fascinated. And I was, I was tempted. I didn't do it. I was tempted to use his article, give him credit, and use it for a message. Okay? It, it, it's, he's, he's obviously coming from a Christian perspective. But I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to share just a couple of his points that, that he says. He says, you are going to have one of these six strategies in making decisions. Number one, impulsive. You may be impulsive. First option, bang, go with it. Next, you may be compliant. And that, that means you will just comply with the flow. You'll go with the flow. They do it, I do it. I fit in. That's kind of what we want to do. Compliant. Are you impulsive? Are you compliant? Or do you delegate? Do you del... That means, I don't know what to do. So you make the decision for me. Okay? Getting others to make the decision for you. And, and oftentimes that can even be those that you trust. They're capable and you trust them. So you just make them make the decision for you. And all, these three are all related, the compliant, the delegated, and the next one is avoidance slash deflection. And that simply means ignoring as many decisions as you can in order to, this is what I hate, I hate how honest he is, because it's right on, this is, I'm going to be blunt, this is, this is my real weakness. I avoid decisions as much as I can, that's why my desk has about 353, that's an exaggeration, sticky notes. And I just, all those things that I, okay, sometime I got to make a decision. But you ignore them as long as possible in effort to avoid responsibility or their impact. Anybody with me? Now we're going, now, now we're switching to the positive and I'm still quoting Joel Hooman. He says, balancing, that's the next step. Balancing, you weigh factors. You use them to render the best of your de de decision. Oh, that takes time, that takes effort. And, and the last one is prioritize and reflect. And this is kind of where he lost me. He's a doctor that teaches in a seminary, and he, he, he suggests that you categorize all your decisions into tiers. So you got a tier one, a tier, tier two, a tier three, a tier four decisions. And the tier one or the highest level decisions is where you really do need input. You really, the impact is going to be great. The impact is going to be wide. And 
when you have 15 sticky notes on your desk with those kind of decisions, that's why it can be a bit overwhelming to make, uh, to make a decision. Well, uh, maybe another way to say it is critical thinking. Maybe that's a term that I understand. Just think through it critically. Think through all, all, everything. And in all likelihood, every one of us this morning probably employ a combination of all the above. In some, we're impulsive. In some, we might be compliant. In some, we might be delegating. In some, we might be avoiding. In some, we might be balancing. In some, we might be prioritizing and reflecting and so on. But if I got anything out of all his writing, his article, which I'm going to leave in a minute or two, I got this. He, he, he stresses two things. Decisions shape your character. And that is so true. Decisions shape who you are. And then secondly, he says this, or this is what I picked up. This is what, my two conclusions. Number one, they shape your character. Number two, decisions are nothing more than values in action. That's all it is, a value in action. So the big question is what shapes your values? Who, and that's, that's what I do not, that's what I do not have. I'm weak on this message. Uh, I know it. I, I really would like to just uh, stress, let me just say it right now because it, it, it isn't even a point, but your values, I mean, your every time you make a decision, it's based on your values and what shapes your values. And I quickly jotted at the end of my sermon, and I hope I restate it, but this, if this book doesn't shape your values, you're on a dangerous course. And the second question is, how much time do you read the book? There are some people in the world that I know that rarely read the Bible that sit in church. They rarely read the Bible. You can, oh, that, you know what that is? That's letting all the decisions on somebody else. And y'all shape my values by somebody else. It's not safe. It's not, it's not fair to yourself. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say everything that I say or anybody else says in the Sunday school lesson or wherever, just guard your mind against what anybody says, what I say by the book. What shapes your values? Is the book shaping your values? If you're not reading the book, you've got a dangerous set of values. Or maybe you've got good values, but you have no idea what foundation they're in. And that's going to be a course of a decade or so. And it's going to shake and wobble and the house will fall down. So if you miss everything, make sure that you shape your values by this book. So, so that's the reality of choices. Okay, this is going to, we're going to have to put it into another gear. Number two. Your influences greatly affect your choices. And I kind of said this already. So actually, some of my points are kind of woven into what I gleaned from uh, Joel Hooman. Uh, your influences greatly affect your, your choices. And if you're a compliant kind of person, just whatever. Uh, and, and I know people. I, Joyce and I have a letter. I think this is far, far enough removed that nobody here knows the person. That we, ha we got a letter. A lot, many decades ago from someone that had a great burden for choices that some of the close acquaintances were making. Well, fast forward about two decades, two and a half decades, that very person, because of influence, that's where they lived and that's where they, that's where they fellowshiped. That's the, very, the very burden, the very concern 
Your influences greatly affect your choices. Truth must be reinforced. It's not enough to go through a new believer's class and just learn the truth. It must be reinforced and reinforced and reinforced. Your influences greatly affect your choices. Number three, there are consequences to all choices. I remember being in prison uh, ministry and sometimes, sometimes prisoners just blurt, blurt their story and some don't. And it all goes back to if only, if only, if only. And we all have our if only stories. We do. Every one of us. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of if we, if we admit it. Every one of us has sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all, there are all, every one of us has a moment we wish we could have do. We could, but we can't. We know that. We cannot redo history. What we did, we did. What we said, we said. We'll never change it, ever. But it doesn't have to define who we are. Uh, for instance, when I was 20, I was engaged, and I was looking forward to an August 4th, 1990 married, uh, wedding. And I had a few friends that went to uh, an event one night, and I got home from late. I got home late from work, and they left. I was upset at my friends, to say the least. And I thought I have it within my means to catch them. And I remember heading west of Route 22 at a pretty high rate of speed, regardless of what the sign said. And you, you know the rest of the story without me finishing it. Well, maybe not. Yeah, it cost me my license. And remember I said I was engaged? My mother had the privilege of taking me to work and picking me up at work and taking my van to the job and picking me up. And, and that's, it's not a good time not to have license when you're engaged. Consequences of choices, simple illustration, maybe a weak illustration, but there's consequences. Uh, I should turn to Galatians 6. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. But I can't leave this point without saying this. We must thank God for his redemptive power over bad choices. You have them. I have them. We all have them. Okay? I thank God for redemption. It does not define who I am. And neither does your words you said or things you did. What defines you and what defines me is where we find our identity. And I don't know about you, but I am who I am in Christ. And I need to remind myself over and over of that. That's who I am. I am a Christian. I am following Jesus Christ. That's my identity. That changes everything. I thank God for not only redemptive power, I also thank God that bad choices still are redeemed for Christian growth. Do you find that? Why in the world did I say that? Why in the world? Oh, if we wouldn't have those moments, how else would you grow? How else would I grow? So I must throw that in on the point of consequences. And uh, I would also like to make a comment. This is a point, but I'm going to make it a comment. There's have a right perspective in making a choice. And I call this your eternal perspective. And if I would draw a line 
that would try to represent eternity, okay? How would you do it? If I would ask you if that would be another homework assignment, how would you draw a line that represents eternity? I'd probably say it's something like this. Well, take a thread around the world 50,000 times, okay? A thread around the world 50,000, around the whole universe 50,000 times. That's supposedly eternity, okay? Now take... That's actually very weak because eternity is eternity, right? There's no way to fathom even eternity, but uh, the best you can. Now take one little stroke across that string that went around the world thousands and thousands of times, one little stroke. That's your, that's your life if you live to be 100. No, Methuselah's age, 900, right? That's your, that's your life. Just keep that in mind as you make choices in light of eternity. That, it should help make a difference and you're responsible for your choice so reality of choices the influence that, may, that greatly affects your choices the consequence of choices uh, eternal perspective as you make choices you are responsible for your choices Adam and Eve you know what they did Adam, Eve, the serpent. And I caught it this morning. I don't hope Lee didn't see me, but I got my notes out and I quick wrote a, wrote a, a, wrote a, a couple notes here while, I, while he was, I was preparing my message while you were teaching. No, I just caught it while you were teaching. That's exactly what Ahab did. Art thou who that, you that, oh, you're the guy that's trying, look, look, look what you caused. No, 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 it's you. If only I would be responsible for every single thing I did and said. It's just hard to take blame. And I discovered in my short life that, I said short life, one of the hardest things to say is, I'm sorry, it's my fault. You're right. 99, that might be one point, one point of the 99, of the 100, right? But learn, if, if I would learn to say that, if you would learn to say that, so now we're quickly back to Moses. You, you know the story. What a story. So Israel was in affliction, bondage, terrible situation. The king's plan was to eradicate them. So the king said, all the babies die. Well, you know the story. The midwives weren't obedient, and they kind of helped, uh, helped the Israelites out and didn't take, didn't, uh, uh, help eradicate them like the king wanted them to, and so on and so on. Well, then it's finally, okay, all baby boys, in the, they die in the river. Throw them. And then Moses' mom and dad had a little baby boy. They said, what are we going to do? We're not throwing him in the river. So they made a little basket, and they put, him in the, put the basket in the river, and he's floating there, and big sister's watching in the bulrushes, and down the trail comes whistling king's, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, and, oh, a basket, oh, a baby, oh, Oh, out of the bushes pops his big sister. Hey, you need somebody to take care of him. It's, it's a pretty neat story. And, oh, yeah, I do. So Moses goes home to mom and dad and, and, uh, until he's weaned. And, but then the day came where the king's, the Pharaoh's daughter, knock, knock, knock. It's time for me to have my baby boy. So Moses went into the palace. That's where Moses grew up. Moses grew up in the palace. He had riches. He had honor. He had everything. Do you ever look at somebody else and say, they got everything? He had it. He had everything. Well, everything, right? Well, like all boys need to do, they can, they can avoid choices 
it's kind of like maybe uh, some 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds grow up and, and they just avoid the, ch- the crossroad of am I going to follow Jesus or not? Am I going to make a statement to the whole world that I'm a Christian or not? And they push it off and they push it off. I wonder if that's exactly what Moses did. He, he, something in him said, I don't belong here, but it was sure nice being there. And he would w- take these daily walks and he would see bad things happening to his people. And he didn't know if he wanted to identify with them or is my identity here. It was an identity issue. Where, who do I identify with? Them, them. And I wonder, I wonder if that battle raged with him, within, for days and days and weeks and weeks. And I wonder if the day came where he came to a crossroad and he just knew there's no pushing it off. It was always kind of a, a, a why, but now it's a crossroad. You're going to go left or you're going to go right. And he stood there at the crossroad and he saw... Let me see, which one's first in the scripture? Choosing. He saw affliction. He saw his people. Something within him said, that's my people. And he looked at the affliction sign for a long time. And he stood there. And I can almost hear the devil say, yeah, look at him. Bondage making bricks, slavery. It's going to be hard life, affliction. And then a still small voice said, after the noise stopped, a a still small voice, that's how God speaks, you know that. A still small voice said, with the people of God. You can't see it, but I can. It's fine print. Affliction, with the people of God. Pleasure. Now I'd like to do another test. How many of you enjoy pleasure? And I've uh, asked this question already and one little girl in the front row said, I do. (laughs) I'm not afraid to raise my hand. I enjoy pleasure. Every one of you does too. In fact, the Bible says, in First Timothy, that the issue was they love pleasure. In the last days, they love pleasure more than they love God. Every one of us has some hobbies or some things you enjoy doing, but this was kind of like a lifestyle. This was the American dream. I'm quotating you. And, oh, he's looking at that, and the devil, I, can't, I can hear him. Can you? The devil says, Oh, fame, pleasure, riches, position, Pharaoh, Moses, reputation, honor. And then if, you, if you're wise, the noise stops. And then I wonder if the Lord spoke. And all the Lord said in a still small voice, of sin for a season. That's in fine print too. Of sin for a season, for a season, it's going to pass. Moses chose affliction. Get this. Get it. Moses chose affliction over pleasure. No. 
He chose the people of God over sin for a season. That's what he chose. I wonder what choice you're making. I wonder what choice I'm making. And I'm thank, I thank God that Moses made the right choice. Somewhere about 80 years later, he died. You know who buried him? This is such a cool story. God buried Moses. Yeah, God buried Moses. It's, uh, the life of Moses, oh, his life was hard. It, it really was affliction. Those people of God were kind of stubborn sometimes. Those people of God caused him some anguish. Here's my hunch. If he would have chose this road, I think he would have been buried in the Red Sea. That's my hunch. I think he would have been a prominent person and God would have got somebody else to take his people out of, it, uh, out of de deliverance. And he very likely could have been right in, that fair, uh, in, the, uh, in the army that was chasing after God's people. That's a hunch. 80 years later, God buried him. Men and women that have made choices to serve God have the authority. I, should, I, don't, I don't like to use the word authority. They've earned the right. They've earned the respect to ask the same question for others. So if you're a Christian, you have the right and the respect. If you haven't made the choice, you have no right. You have, I'm gonna, I don't want to see you under respect. One day Moses in his difficult days of ministering came down out of a glory meeting with, with the Lord up in Sinai and came down in Exodus 32. You can read the story, but it was what he saw was disgusting. It was so pathetic. It was hard, should never be named among God's people. Exodus 32, you can read it. I won't describe it. It's so bad. He got a little, he got a little upset. <laughs> and I'll fast forward. He stood up. He went out to the door of the party. And he said, listen up, everybody. Whoever is on the Lord's side, come unto me. And he said it with authority. Some came, some didn't. A lot of people that didn't died. So it is important that we make choices. It is also important that you and me have a, have a message, and the message is always, choose who you're going to serve. Choose who you're going to serve. Everywhere we go, that should, be our, that should be our mission. But I want to come back to, and I want to just, again, reiterate, in closing, in conclusion, that your, well, first of all, let me reiterate this. If wrong choices... Wrong choices have effects. Good choices have effects. Good choices, I can't say enough about the reaping that's going to happen, even in this life and, yea, in the life to come. Wrong choices, if not repented of, are going to have tragic consequences. But don't ever allow the devil to overwhelm you in the fact that your wrong choices offer you no hope. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I'm here to testify that God is able to redeem every bad choice that you made and that I made. He's able to redeem them. And he even uses them. This is amazing. He uses them for, 
growth in all of our Christian, all of our lives. And your choices are simply values in action. You watch a person live, all they're doing is putting their values, what, the, what they hold dear, into action. So make sure your values are shaped by the word and by the heart of God. God bless you and give you grace as you make 35,000 choices every day. I'll turn it over to Steve.